0: Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word and we need for you uh, to speak clearly to us through it tonight. We pray you'd cause us to have a greater uh, realization of who you are and of, of how you intend to work among us. Uh, based on how you have worked in the past so i pray we'll believe these things to be true and that we will trust that you will make them true for us even now in jesus name amen please turn in your bibles to the book of acts and uh, we're going to start tonight in acts chapter three if you are Using a Bible from this room, you can find Acts chapter 3 on page 780, page 780. If you are not using a Bible from this room, uh, but you still need help finding Acts, uh, the front of your Bible probably has a table of contents. And it's divided into two sections, Old and New Testament. Uh, Acts is in the New Testament, and it is the fifth book. So you could look down on that list and find the page number that way. So Acts chapter 3 is where we're going to begin. Now, uh, I want to start by saying uh, that in, in virtually every culture throughout history, a person's name is equal to his or her reputation. So you, you can't escape... Uh, When you hear something, it's it's basically impossible to to hear someone's name uh, and then to separate that name from what you know about that person, from what they've done, from their works. It could be good or bad. Uh, When you hear a person's name, their reputation immediately comes to mind, and it's always uh, going to be either positive or negative or maybe some mixture of both. And... The Bible makes very clear that no one's name and no one's reputation is more important than Jesus. Uh, Philippians says, Paul says in Philippians, uh, that it will be at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Which means, if that's true, uh, that, that all of us in this room... And all of us in this building and all of us in this city and all of us on the planet and all people who have ever lived will one day hear the name of Jesus and see him in person and bow before him. That will happen. That is a guaranteed thing that scripture says will happen in the future. All of you will participate in it. And, and so therefore, the, one of the main arguments of the Bible is that it is better for us to do that willingly now to to, uh, to recognize that he is our king now, and so even coming together tonight, uh, we want to make make that very clear uh, that our goal is to to serve him and to follow him. Um, so tonight, we're going to see what these chapters, uh, mainly Acts three, four, and five, have to say about the name of Jesus and the reputation of Jesus, because those two things were at stake. Uh, when, when this thing called the church was just getting started. So what we're doing tonight is really just a continuation of what Christians have done for over 2,000 years now. And that's why uh, most of the time what we do in here is terribly uncreative, because Christians have been doing it this way for a very long time, and it seems to have worked well for them, and uh, so it's best not to tamper with it too much. Now, we started last week in the book of Acts, and we're thinking about this idea of witnesses. Uh, Witnesses, based on Acts 1, let's see if we can do a little review. Let's see how how well you were paying attention. Witnesses um, from Acts 1 are people who receive something from Jesus. Who or what do they receive from Jesus? It's really a who, I guess. Jesus went back to heaven, and he promised to send the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Very good. So witnesses, Jesus said, uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses. Now, what we didn't talk much about is that in the New Testament, the idea of witnesses actually has um, a, a synonym, a meaning that, that today we might call a martyr. Um, someone, someone help me define what we mean by martyr. Have you heard that term? What is, what is someone who is a martyr? Someone help me out? Okay, yes. Typically, it's someone who uh, who stands for their faith in such a way that they are put to death for it. Yes, that's exactly right. Thank you, Lily. Um, and and so the New Testament uh, word for witness and the word for martyr are the same. It's the same word. Um, so so when we think of being witnesses for Jesus, we should understand that uh, that being a witness is something that that we would or at least should be and should do. Uh, even if it were to cost us our lives, and as we 're going to see even tonight, um, the apostles who first received the Holy Spirit actually had their lives threatened to a great extent because of their witness for for jesus so so this is one of those areas where the Bible I think is having us to count the cost of what it actually means to follow Jesus and so we saw that from uh, from last week. Uh, we also saw that when God sent the Holy Spirit, remember what what unique uh, gift and ability he gave those first apostles who received the Holy Spirit, what were they able to do? Speaking lots of different languages. Yeah, this gift of tongues, as we call it, to speak in tongues. And what's interesting about that, and again, I don't think we really touched on this last week, is that that's actually a, um, a reversal of what God did at Babel. So remember at Babel, everybody, t- everybody spoke the same language, and then God confused them and then scattered them? Well, in Acts 2, He's bringing all the people back together to one place And he's enabling them not to be confused by one another, but to actually understand one another. And that was evidence, again, that God was intending for those witnesses to spread the message of Christ to the ends of the earth. So, that's where we left off last week. Uh, We're going to pick it up now in chapter 3. And the way this is going to work tonight, I think, is I just want to kind of go through the whole section through about chapter 5 and kind of just give you like the structure of it, so just overview it with you. And then talk about the highlights that it makes uh, about Jesus' name and about his reputation. So that's kind of the order we're going to follow here. So that first main part in your notes. And again, if you have a bulletin and something to write with, I encourage you to follow along and fill in these blanks as we go. So what's the structure? What's the pattern? It starts in chapter 3 uh, and and verse 1 with, this, uh, with these miracles and these explanations. And in particular, the first miracle that happens here is, and I'll just sort of summarize it now, we'll come back and read some specifics later, is that two of the apostles, Peter and John, uh, went to the temple, which apparently they did every day. So remember we read last week they, they had a habit of meeting together and going to the temple every single day. And so one day they're going, to the, they're going to the temple, as they normally would. They see a man at the gate of the temple, and he's lame. He cannot walk. And so he's begging for money, because that would be about the only way he could make money. And uh, so, sure enough, he asks Peter and John, um, you know, do you have money? Do you have silver or gold that that I can have? And um, some of you maybe uh, have sung a children's church song with these uh, these lyrics. Peter says something like, I don't have silver or gold, but I'll give you what I do have. And he says, In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, um, that is a... A stunning thing to say to someone who can't walk, it's actually, uh, I, would, I would guess it's actually a pretty insulting thing to say to someone who can't walk. Like, could you imagine going to someone whose legs don't work and just saying, hey dude, stand up. Um, and yet that's, what, that's exactly what Peter says to him. So that's, that's a stunning thing to say, and yet what actually is more stunning? The guy actually then is able to stand up and walk. So the passage there in Acts 3 says that he, he gained strength in his legs, and then as soon as he could walk, uh, it actually explains that he goes about not just walking, but jumping around, uh, leaping for joy, praising God in doing so. And apparently, this guy had made, a, had made a habit of sitting there, and that was his job, and probably people recognized him. Um, again, I, I doubt this is actually too different from what we might experience today. Okay, if you drive uh, on the interstate a good bit um, at a lot of these exit ramps, you'll see some of the same people over and over again who, who sort of make a habit of panhandling. Um, and I, So I expect that this guy probably just got put here pretty regularly and, and asked people for money. Well, now all of a sudden the same guy who's been sitting there for days, weeks, months, maybe years is not sitting there. And he's jumping around. Do you suppose that that maybe got some people's attention? I think it did. Sure enough, it did. So they're wondering, how on earth did this happen? And so again, it's Peter who actually begins to give some explanation. Um, people want to know, how, how does this happen? And so Peter, Peter uh, goes and, and he gives you know, the reason behind why this is able to happen. Now, that's not to say that there's like a logical explanation to all miracles. So do, so do you think sometimes, and maybe you could even like give examples in your own life, maybe God just does a miracle that would be like unexplainable to to us as humans, like God could do that, right? God has done that um, so peter 's not like trying to explain the physics of how this could work he 's just explaining that this is by the power of God God did this that 's the only explanation. Well, do you think that the people uh, that the that the authorities, especially there in the temple, did they like that answer? sure enough they didn 't, and so the next pattern that we see, the next thing we happen we see happen is that they're arrested. So write the word arrest. So after miracles, you see an arrest. And so beginning of Acts 4, uh, they, are, they are brought. In fact, uh, the wording there is pretty interesting. Let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, so as, as Peter's giving this explanation, it's the priest and the captain of the guard, uh, captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So they're, they're put in custody, and then so sure enough, the next day, uh, they are allowed to kind of give their, their explanations So verse 7 there in chapter 4. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and, and he goes on and begins to explain that God raised Jesus from the dead. And if God can raise Jesus from the dead, He can raise someone up whose legs don't work and make them walk again. And so sure enough, that's what Peter does. And so that next blank there, right in the word teaching. So miracle happens. They try to explain it. They're arrested. And then they're given an opportunity to do some teaching. They teach. And, and Peter's way of teaching was to say... Uh, kind of what I just summarized, God raised Jesus from the dead, and if he can raise the dead, he can raise the lame man after uh they do this teaching again, what do you suppose the response of the temple leaders is positive negative negative Negative, yeah not not great so look at look at what they uh look at how they handle this um, verse fifteen chapter four when they Jesus. So that would be what I would call a threat. So write the word threat there in the uh, in the blank there. So they try to explain the miracle. They're arrested. Uh, they, they teach what the miracle truly is about. They're threatened. They're told not to speak or teach at all anymore about Jesus. And then the last thing we see in the pattern is a response. So these guys, these apostles, these followers of Jesus, these witnesses have to decide how they're going to respond. Are they going to listen to the threats and go along with what they say? Are they going to keep silent? Or are they um, going to continue to proclaim Jesus? So look at how Peter and John answer here, verse 19. Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Verse twenty one, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of all the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than forty years old, so they respond by essentially saying, um, "We have this, the option to listen to you or to listen to God, and we think we probably ought to listen to God uh, rather than you." And then, and then the rest of uh, of that next section. They respond by praying. Um, if you look at verse, look at verse 29, so Acts, Acts 4, 29. So they respond, first of all, by saying, yeah, we're gonna, we need to keep obeying God and speaking. But then as they pray, look at how they address the Lord. Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, I, I think that's a, a very um, important way to pray. Because, because they're threatened, you might expect that they would pray for those threats to just be taken away from them, right? Right? Uh, I think most of the time that's that 's our kind of go to tendency is when we feel like we 're opposed, we feel like something 's not going well for us, we pray for whatever it is to to just be taken away from us and so they don 't they don 't pray for that though they they really just pray we need boldness, we need to continue speaking, uh, so in the midst of these threats, give us that boldness uh, to speak, and then in in addition to that boldness uh, give give us the ability to continue to do these. Signs and these wonders. Now that's where that's where chapter four ends, and the rest of chapter four and all the way through chapter five, we basically see the same pattern repeated. Okay, so so the next uh, set of verses, we again see this miraculous these miraculous um, events. So the people were being generous with one another, and uh, except for one couple. Ananias and Sapphira, who were like, well, we'll, be, we'll say we sold our goods for this amount, but we'll keep this amount for ourselves. And remember what happened to them? They were struck dead, yeah. And again, that, that itself, uh, as horrible as it is, is a, is a sign, it's a wonder, it's a miraculous kind of thing that they, that they just stopped breathing, that God actually uh, took their lives because of their sin. And that's evidence of, of the seriousness with which God treats Sin um, more positively, if you look at chapter Five and verse twelve, you see uh, a different kind of mir- different kinds of miracles being done, so verse twelve now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in solomon 's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So you have there again these signs and wonders, the explanation, Well, what was the pattern last time? A miracle was done and they were arrested, right? So, very next verse, verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. This time, um, as they're in prison, they didn't even spend the night in prison, Because verse 19 says that during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So even after they'd been arrested, now they're doing more teaching. Well, so they they continue to do this this teaching. Uh, Look down at verse 27. Uh, When they had brought them... And set them before the council, the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Um, I'll, I'll say this now so I don't forget to come back to it later. They, they filled Jerusalem with their teaching. Okay, I think this is um, an important clue that, that Luke gives us here because remember back in Acts one eight, they were told to go where first? First, be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So how well were they being a witness in Jerusalem? Extremely well, right? They filled the whole city with their teaching. That's how good uh, uh, witnesses they they were, that's how how well they were doing. Um, so again, there's this there's this threat you can continue reading um, about how if you look down at verse um, 40, so chapter five verse 40, when the council called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. So again, there's this threat. This time it comes with a beating. Don't talk about this name anymore. But then again, they're going to make a response. And the response is in verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So that's the structure. That's the pattern that that we see here in this um, in this section, and it just it just repeats itself. Uh, I think probably on purpose to to make it more memorable for us who are reading it. Now, want to go hopefully quickly. And just see how throughout this section there are certain things that are that are prioritized um, about Jesus' name and his reputation. Why why do, why is the name of Jesus so important? And what does his what does his reputation tell us about his name? Um, so just point these out. We've already talked about all these, so I, I think I think I can just point them out. Maybe say a little bit about it, and then we'll break into groups and discuss what it means for us. So. The priority of Jesus' name. Four four ways that this is shown here. First of all, a lame man was made to walk by faith in the name of Jesus. So, let's look back at these with me. So, we'll kind of flip around a little bit. Uh, Go to chapter 3 and verse 6. And we'll we'll read what I kind of summarized before. But chapter 3, verse 6. This guy's asking for... Gold, silver, or gold. But Peter said, "I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the what name. name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk." So the name of Jesus is apparently very important for this guy's ability to walk. So, so skip down now to verse uh, sixteen. Peter, in this, in his explanation of it, says, And his name, so Jesus' name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Uh, go to chapter 4 and verse 10. You see the same kind of emphasis. He says, Peter again, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Now you you might ask, uh, what's the big deal about Jesus' name? Why does his name matter for this guy's ability uh, to walk? Now, Luke doesn't actually explain that. Uh, He just makes the connection that that his name is crucial for this to happen. Um, Probably, um, it would be related to to this next point. So I'll give you the point and I'll try to explain the connection. So the next point here, salvation is only available in the name of Jesus salvation is only available in the name of Jesus. So, look back where you just were, chapter 4, verse 10 said, It's by the name of Jesus that this man is standing before you well. And, and then verse 11 and 12, he says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other Name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved so how how many how many names can save people from their sins? Peter says one there's one name under heaven, so everywhere uh, that can save people from their sins so i think I think Luke is trying to make the same point that Matthew did remember matthew. Uh, told us that when the angel came to Joseph, he told Joseph uh, that, that Mary's son, you should give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. So what's the connection between that and the lame man? Probably I think it's this. Peter and Luke and all the apostles are trying to show us that the greatest miracle that Jesus can do is not to make lame people walk it's to make unholy people saved, to actually have them made holy, to have them rescued from their sins, to have them made right with God. That's the greatest thing, that's the greatest miracle that Jesus can do. So as impressive as it is that this lame man's legs who never worked before now work, that pales in comparison to people who are sinful before God, and yet who can be made right with God. And only Jesus can do that. So I think that's the point that he's trying to make. The next thing we see about the priority of Jesus' name is that the apostles were warned not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. They were warned not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. We read these, these verses as we were going through it. So apparently, these religious leaders, these priests, these Sadducees, all of them recognized that wherever the name of Jesus was preached, people were turning to Him. People were being saved. There was power to save in Jesus' name. And so they, they warned them, don't speak this name anymore, don't teach in this name anymore. And then, and then the last thing is, as we read at the end of chapter uh, chapter 5, that the apostles gladly suffered dishonor for the name of Jesus. So Luke, as he's writing this, apparently wants us to understand the significance of the name of Jesus. So it matters how you and I speak about Jesus. It matters how we respond to those who seem to oppose Jesus. Uh, It matters even when we might be dishonored for our association with Jesus. So that's the priority of Jesus' name. Now, what about his reputation? In other words, what what kind of works was God doing in the name of Jesus? And again, we'll try to go through these sort of quickly. So the first one, we've mentioned it now a couple other times, is just the, the miracle of making the lame man walk. He raised him up. Uh, verse Chapter 3 and verse 7 says that Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up. So so I think there's a pattern here, and I tried to make it clear in the notes. I think there's a pattern here that every time we see the Lord doing something, he's raising someone up. So the, the lame man is raised to walk. Uh, the next powerful work of God that we see mentioned here is... Is this um, top-notch miracle, so to speak, of raising Christ from the dead? Of raising Christ from the dead, and and so as as Peter, since he's the primary speaker for the apostles here, as he is able to do the explanation and do the teaching, he always compares what is happening, you know, what people can see to the miracle of God raising Christ from the dead. So, so again, uh, understand this. If, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, all other miracles all of a sudden become, they, they make a lot of sense. They become a lot more believable. If you believe that God can raise Jesus from the dead, then there's nothing that God can't do. If he can raise Jesus from the dead, he can make us right with him. And he can heal physical um, ailments and disabilities. And so they point, they relate all of these all of these miracles, all these things that are happening, uh, they are related to raising Christ from the dead. The third powerful work of God that's mentioned here is the raising up of a prophet like Moses. Raising up a prophet like Moses. So Ryan uh, read for us the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 18 where Moses uh, writes "...that the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me." Well, look at how Peter interprets that. Look at verse 22 of chapter 3. So Acts three twenty-two, Peter says, "...Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people." And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. And you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers saying to Abraham and in, ye, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And God having raised up his servant sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So Peter's point is that God raised up a prophet like Moses, and that was Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment of that, that prophecy. And again, it's that picture of raising up, right? Raising up a prophet like Moses. Uh, the next work that is emphasized, raising up many who were sick and unclean. Raising up many who were sick and unclean. We read about that in chapter 5. You, got, you get the idea that these, these people are, are lying down. Most of them have to be carried in. Said so they brought them on cots and mats. And they hoped that that they would just like that Peter's shadow would just pass over them, so that they could be healed. They could be raised up. And again, Peter is telling them that look, all of this is happening not because we have great power, but because God can raise Christ from the dead, and so He can raise people from their sickness and from their uncleanness. And then the last work of God that we see, uh, and again we, we read about this as we went through it, is the raising up of the apostles from prison. Raising up the apostles from prison. They're cast into prison. A lot of the prisons in those days were underground, and so probably they were literally cast down into prison, uh, maybe maybe made to sit or lie down even as they're chained, and yet it's the angel who comes to them, loosens their chains, opens the gates, sets them free, and says, Go to the temple. Go and enter the temple. And so, so... The name of Jesus, that that is the only name that can save us, takes priority, and the name of Jesus speaks of his reputation, which is that he is always raising people up. He himself raised from the dead. He was raised up as a prophet like Moses, and he is raising people from their sickness, from their uncleanness, uh, from their captivity, and, and most importantly, from their sins. Now... Uh, the last point there in your notes, um, I didn't leave any blanks. I just wanted them written out there. but, but these um, points I think should should cause us to ask certain questions. And so you have them there in your notes, and I want those to kind of be the guiding talking points for our small groups as we break into them. Uh, basically trying to, to talk to think about our response. If we're opposed for Jesus, what's our response? Do we go to Him in prayer? Do we, do we ask for boldness to keep speaking in His name? And then, and then how are we representing the name of Jesus and the works of Jesus to others who don't know Him? So I pray that as we, as we break into groups, uh, we'll be challenged and we'll think about uh, our role in representing Christ to others. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank You... For the examples of these apostles, for Peter and John and others, uh, and for Luke who recorded these things, for the way that they boldly uh, proclaimed you and lived for you, and even, even when facing great opposition, they uh, knew it was better and more needful to obey God rather than men. So, Lord, we also pray for the same kind of boldness. We pray uh, to to carry on the work that you've given us to do as your witnesses. Uh, We pray we will honor the name of Jesus by the way we speak of him uh, and that we will display for others the works of God through Jesus that you have done for us, uh, especially that you have rescued us from our sins, because that is our greatest need and it is the greatest need in all the world. So I pray as we talk about these things, you'll you'll help us to know how best to apply them. In Jesus' name. Amen.